Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to the Relentless Truth Podcast. I'm John Warren. Welcome to the first in a series of episodes that feature special guests. Please like, share, review, comment, and subscribe, and go to johnwarrenmedia.com for more information. Now, I don't have favorite students because they're diversely gifted with incredible abilities and unique personalities, but if I were to name a group of students that I am incredibly blessed to know, my guest today would be among them. My guest today is Audrey Folk. Audrey just graduated from high school this year. She was born in Lynchburg, Virginia. She's lived in Central Florida for a long time and is the oldest of four sisters. She's a graduate of Circle Christian School. She's enrolled in Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University and plans to study aviation there. Her goal is to become a professional pilot. She's an avid reader, plays piano, and I'm excited that you're going to get to know Audrey Folk. Audrey, welcome. Thank you. Good to talk to you. All right. I've got some questions for you. And the first one is really open-ended because I want this audience, the, the listeners to the Relentless Truth Podcast, to get to know who Audrey Folk is. So please just let's start with you just telling your story and tell as much of your story as you're comfortable telling us. Okay. Well, I'll start from the beginning. Uh, As you said, I was born in Virginia. And when I was little, my mom took me to church. Uh, We went to Thomas Road at the time. And we went with her mom and her sister. But my dad never went with us because he wasn't a Christian at the time. And, well, he wasn't around a lot. Growing up, he didn't know Christ. And he went through a lot of childhood trauma. So in adulthood, he ended up with mental illness that affected our family in a lot of ways. I distinctly remember accepting Christ when I was five years old because I realized from going to church and from my family that he was the only one who could offer me the protection, the fatherhood, and the love that I craved so much. Mm. So when we moved to Florida when I was six years old, the three of us, my mom and my dad and I, And around that time, my dad started coming to church with us once in a while, but he wasn't super into it or anything. And although he said he did, I don't think he really believed it until I was in ninth grade. Up until that point, there's been a lot of hard times for my family, of course. And while it didn't stop immediately, it was incredible to see the transformation that my dad went through when I was in ninth grade. He was happy. He just loved talking about Christ and about what he was reading in the Bible. It's amazing to see that transformation in another person, especially if that happened when you were in ninth grade, you could see the difference. Absolutely. Hey, I I had a question for about something you said earlier and I wasn't going to interrupt you because you're telling your story so well, but you mentioned Thomas road. Is that the church that Jerry Falwell started at Liberty? It is. I actually remember the day that we heard, Jerry Powell had passed away, and that was really sad for my family because we knew him so well. Oh, goodness. I have friends from my childhood who 
went to that university back when it was not a large university back at the time that you would have been there. So. My mom graduated from there. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So we live 15 minutes from there. It's a super big part of my childhood. Well, tell us about what happened. So, so your dad puts his trust in Christ. You see a difference in his life. Mm-hmm. And then what else? Yeah. Well, I also think sometimes when a person allows themselves to be changed by God and they start becoming more godly, sometimes Satan attacks them from new angles and even harder than before. And if they don't prepare their hearts the right way, that can be a very difficult thing to go through. So true. So January of the next year, when I was in 10th grade, my dad's behavior took a turn for the worse. And we were forced to move to back to Virginia, back to Lynchburg with my mom and my three little sisters. Living in Virginia was a very hard chapter of my life, of course. I learned a lot of things from it, but I had to leave my the home that I grew up in and my friends, everything that I knew. I had to leave my dad. My new school was really tough for me. I wasn't super accepted. I mostly had one friend, but... Mm. In the end, a few months later, my dad moved to Virginia with us, and everything seemed to be doing super well. He was the ideal dad again. And so we moved back to Florida. When we moved back to Florida, the day after we moved into our new house, actually, I left to volunteer at a summer camp for two months, which is another part of my testimony. Uh, I don't need to get into the whole thing. Well, so being at that camp was difficult. I wasn't able to go home to the house that I had just moved into. I wasn't able to see my family, which was, we were still recovering from everything that had happened in the past few months. But I came home at the end of the summer. And since I hadn't been home for two months, I wasn't, I wasn't really sure what was going on. But I came home to find that, like I said, the enemy had been attacking my family again, from even a new angle. My dad was still he wasn't scary anymore. His behavior was mostly good, but he wasn't the same person on the inside. He had developed depression, mm. all sorts of new mental illness. And so 10 days after I returned from the camp to my new house, my dad lost his life to the mental illness and we had to move again. So mm. for the next six months, my family was in a state of transition. We were moving from house to house, trying to get settled into our new life try to form a new way of life, trying to navigate. And during that time, God was able to show incredible providence for us through people that he would put in our paths. There were people providing somewhere to live, providing food for, providing money for food and providing emotional support that we really needed from our community. So I learned a lot from that time. And of course, you were one of those people because you helped us so much when we really needed it. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I remember, and this is the first time that I've I've heard this story from your perspective with this much detail. But what what I remember, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but what I remember is hearing about your dad's death and hearing that you're going to be in one of my classes a couple of years ago, and I remember thinking. I, and and I, I believe it was August, what, what year would that have been, 2019? Yeah. And, and I remember when school started thinking, I've got to be sure to meet Audrey. And I, I didn't know anything about you or your family or, or anything else. And I, and I thought, 
I wondered whether I had the skill set to be you know, a good teacher and create a, a good environment. And, and, and for those who don't know, and, and I, I know, you know, this isn't a commercial, but, but the, the culture in, in Audrey's class in particular, her year, her graduating class, and this is true of a lot of classes at Circle Christian School, but the culture is, is warm and supportive. It's not as you get to meet other students uh, there who've been there, I, I think you'll, you'll kind of get this even through the, the limited communication in a podcast, but it's a supportive environment, but, but still students are students. And at that age, I, I just wondered about what this would be like for you emotionally. So I was ill-equipped and, and uh, I appreciate your kind comments, but I, I don't think they're deserved because I just want the classroom environment to be one that honors God and one where we communicate well. And so what the person I met, now that I've interrupted your story, I have to say this, the person I met was this kind, uh, you know, I could see the love of Christ in you. And I, as I got to know your family a little better and, and not well, but got to know who you really are over the last two years, I saw God's sustaining grace in your life so clearly because you're a, you're a leader, you're smart, you're, everything was on time you do the work well, you participate in class, and, and you, you love your friends well. And, uh, you know, I would call you even back early in this process, soon after your dad's death, I, uh, the model student in, in so many respects. You were accretive to the culture in the classroom, and that's why I'm proud to have you here to tell your story. So go well, right, thank go, you so go right much. ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, thank you so much. I'll never forget all the people that were involved in my life at that time. I felt so lucky to go to that school because one of the first things that I thought, I mean, not one of the first things, but like anyone would, a big thing that I was concerned about was that my friends wouldn't want to be friends with me anymore or that they would treat me different or that I would feel out of place at school. Mm. But I was so happy to find that when I came back to school after that, my friends were still my friends. Everybody was loving and supportive. I felt safe. I didn't feel like I was being judged. So I think that's a really special environment, and I'm very grateful for Circle and for going there with the friends that I had. Well, that's um, good. that's good to hear, and I I agree culturally. I wouldn't have thought of those things, frankly. Uh, you didn't give off, the, you know, those fears, and we all have them about various things. We don't always advertise, and and so I didn't see those fears from you, but I saw special friends really embrace you and love you through that period. Yeah, it was amazing. And if I would continue the story, uh, two years later, it's only been two years. Um, but I would say that that situation didn't destroy my family in the end. And God used it to bring us closer together. We're stronger. One verse that I feel like applies, and it's a verse that I really love. It's Romans 5, 3 through 5. It says, we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I held on to this verse really hard through all of those times, and I still do. Mm. Because at some point it felt like hope was a weakness or like if I had hope, I was just being naive. But this verse shows me that everything I've been through is supposed to produce hope. And that's good, and that's from God. And, of course, we don't have everything figured out because it's only been two years, but 
God is still working in our lives, and He promised that He's not finished. And just like this verse says, I have hope for the future and for what God will do and how He will continue to work through what has happened um, going into the future. Mm. So that that's, that's my story. Exactly right. We'll talk about talk about that just a, a little further because when you when you talk about your future, you know I, I know that your dad was a pilot and. I know that you've had an interest in aviation for a while. T- talk about that. Where, where does that interest come from? How did it get birthed in you? And you've been doing some flying and, and have an instructor. And just, just I think the listener would be interested in hearing about that. Okay. Well, when I was younger, I didn't really have any interest in being a pilot. I knew that my dad was, but I didn't think that that was really for me. Uh, and then after I lost my dad, it can be really hard to be reminded of things that you used to do with a person after you lose them. Mm-hmm. And so I remember distinctly driving past the airport one day and looking at it and feeling like I had lost a really big part of my life. Not even just my dad, but also aviation and that whole part. And I decided that, why? Why do I have to lose this part of my life? And I realized that I did I don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can have that for myself. It doesn't have to be something that I look back on and feel sad. I can continue to have this thing in my life that I'm passionate about. And so I decided that I would just become a pilot Mm -hmm. uh, like my dad was. And then now I'm able to look at aviation and airplanes and have fond memories. I'm not sad about it. I'm sad about losing my dad, of course, but um, I'm not sad about losing aviation because I don't, and I'm passionate about it, and I really enjoy it. So it's a positive thing in my life. Now, now, where are you in the in the process? And the I, I, my knowledge of aviation is so limited, but I, I actually took a couple of lessons, flight lessons. I may have told you the story in class, but I I had to go to Bainbridge, Georgia, and I had to I had to get there almost immediately for an important meeting, and um, I ended up taking a flight lesson from a guy out at the Orlando Executive Airport, and. I got to experience, I got to fly the plane. I got, I, I, I was able, I met him that next morning and, and had my little logbook and all the rest. And I was able to take off with, you know, his help. Obviously he was controlling the, the speed of the aircraft and I was just controlling the, uh, the altitude, but I, mm-hmm. I, I having experienced that and, 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 you know, he offered to turn on autopilot once we were in the air and having experienced it, I can see how I can see the appeal. It's a special almost magical sort of experience, but I didn't go through the entire process because I was starting a bank and I was busy, but just for the listener, talk about the process of licensing and where you are in it and how that works and how many hours do you have in the air and, and that kind of thing. And your, and maybe your plans, these next steps that you're going to take. Yeah. Well, I would agree that there's something magical about flying. Uh, I love it more every time I get in the plane (laughs) (laughs) right now. I only have 16 and a half hours you need 40, at least 40, to get your license. But most people have about 60 by the time they get their private pilot's license. I haven't soloed yet, but I'm almost there. Right now, I'm working on my landings, talking on the radio, um, a lot of ground reference things. Which is, yeah, you, know, you just um, named three things that horrified me when I saw it happen <laughs> in the air. Because the the tower to tower thing the, uh, the rate with the radio just sounded mm-hmm. so complex. And landing... We had a crosswind when we landed in Bainbridge, and so the airplane oh, yeah. the airplane was kind of sideways intentionally, yeah. 
until the ground effect took over and straightened everything out like the last 10 feet. It was horrifying. Yeah, that was pretty scary at first for me, but it's kind of fun now. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I enjoy watching the airplane straight out onto the runway at that point. Yeah. So I'll have my private pilot's license by the time I get to Embry-Riddle in August, and then I'll be working on my instrument rating. And and what happens at Embry-Riddle? What what are you... I remember you walking through the the college selection process, and as far as I could tell, uh, and you were just a student in class, so I wasn't involved in the process, but as far as I could tell, that was that was your choice, you know, way back because of your love of aviation, and you... What what will you do there? What will your major be? And what do you plan to do with it down the road? Yeah, I definitely always loved the Well, for the past year, at least, I've always loved the idea of going to Embry-Riddle. I'm super excited about it. I actually got an honors program. So graduating from Embry-Riddle with the honors should help me get a job in the airlines, which is my goal. And it can be kind of competitive, which is why I chose a school that does well in the airlines. It's so well regarded. Yeah. Yeah. Because they have they have a relatively rigorous flight program which actually allows you to become an airline pilot with less hours than you would typically need. Mm-hmm. So every year I'll be taking just some math courses, some aviation courses, a lot of lectures, the honor seminars and everything. I don't know if that's what you were asking. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> And really, I wanted the listener to hear what you plan to do vocationally, and that is work for the airlines, hopefully. Yeah. All right. I want, I'm going to shift gears. That 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 is an amazing story, and I, I frankly could talk to you for hours about your story. Your, your steadfastness, to use the biblical word, God bringing adversity into your life and your response to it and the way he has grounded you is really a testimony to the gospel and God's work in a person's life. And that is clear to anyone who knows you. And I believe that just came across as you told your story. But I want to switch gears because I know something else about you. And that is, from all of the interaction in class, I know that you are wise. You're one of the most insightful students I have ever had the privilege of getting to know. And you, wow, thank you. And you hang out with a couple of students who are equally insightful. And I remember uh, uh, fondly and will remember for the rest of my life, our discussions in class. But when you, when you think about our world today, I'm just wondering what, what are the issues that concern you most about the ideology of this world today? Well, I would have to say that the most concerning issue to me in society is the general desire for instant gratification. It's everywhere. Everybody has it to some degree. And I'm sure if we look through history, we'd see that we're not the first society to struggle with the mindset of seeking instant gratification, but we're definitely the first society to have so much access to such instant results. Mm. I mean, we with our technology, we can go nearly anywhere in a matter of hours. We can communicate with anyone in seconds, and we can make money, spend money, access things, even things that we shouldn't be accessing just by pushing a few buttons Um, and without leaving our houses, which so our society with all this technology is accustomed to getting whatever we want without having to wait for it or work for it. And I would say that this desire for immediate gratification is a big reason that we have so many people unwilling to get jobs, so many people getting abortions. It's really just so many people seeking 
what they want when they want it. You know, I, it's funny you say that. That is not what I thought your answer would be to that question. I thought you'd go into some ideological discussion, but you're absolutely right. At the root of a lot of our issues is this instant gratification. And I remember, and I talked about this in, in the last episode of, of this podcast, I talked about meeting a friend, and this wasn't that long ago. It was 15 years ago. And we were interviewing him for a job in the bank, and he, he kept looking down at his phone during a lunch meeting. And he's an old friend, and we were wanting to hire him, so it was a very friendly environment. And I finally said, what are you doing? And, he, and he, he held up this BlackBerry with these little keys, and he said, I'm texting. I'm texting my girlfriend back in Georgia. And, you know, we obviously everybody had heard of texting by then, but two years later, after mocking the little keyboard and his big fingers trying to operate that little keyboard, I owned a BlackBerry. And today, fast forward during your lifetime, and for it always, it always kind of blows my mind with students that have grown up with a smartphone, they are not accustomed to waiting around for information. In fact, if, if we allow it in the classroom, if we allow access, you, you guys can get the answers to most any question quickly. And as you said, you can, you can travel the world quickly. I want to change gears because I want to respect your time. And I, I want to ask another question. This one's a tough one, but it's kind of my third question. Describe what it's like to be a Christian young lady in a world that doesn't always embrace Christianity. You're going to, and, and like so many parents of Christian young people, are I, I'm probably typical of them in that we want young people to, to be grounded in the faith. And, and, and you're going to be going to, uh, to a school and with new friends and kind of going out in the, into this big new world. What's, what's it like? And, and what, what, what do you have to say about that? Well, the world definitely doesn't embrace Christianity. And I saw a lot of that, uh, when I lived in Virginia in 10th grade. Mm. And the difficult part about being a Christian in that kind of environment is the struggle not to conform. There's a lot of pressure from all different people, even some Christians, oh, yeah. um, to be politically correct and to follow trends of popular psychology and how you should think, how you should feel about things. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Of course, we hear this verse all the time. And a lot of times when we hear sermons about this verse, our minds immediately go to how we should act and how we should shamelessly practice our faith. But we always forget the second half of the verse, which is the important part and tells us how to do that. It's by the renewal of the mind. That's right. When God commands us not to conform, he's not just talking about not partying or waiting until marriage or going on missions trips. That's the easy part. That's what the Pharisees did. It's legalism. That's exactly we, right. We just do good things on the outside. We practice our faith on the outside for the world to see. And we hide behind those actions and our righteous appearance and convince ourselves that we're living lives that stand out. But the whole time, we're allowing our minds and our spirits to be corrupted. Our values are torn apart by how the world tells us we should think. And our desire to be popular, politically correct. And then at that point... When our faith is only on the outside, we look no different than everybody else. To non-believers and people on the outside, the only difference between us and an atheist is that we refrain from certain social practices that I mentioned, like drugs, premarital sex, 
And sometimes we act like the Good Samaritan when we know everybody's watching. Mm-hmm. But that's not really being transformed. That's just modifying our actions. So really standing out in today's society requires us to love in the way that the gospel tells us to and fight for our biblical values. Yeah, you know, that that is so right. And you just described, and we didn't choreograph this, we didn't plan this, but you just described the reason for this Relentless Truth podcast, because it is the underlying truth of Scripture, the absolute truth of Scripture that informs all of our, our lives. And you mentioned the Pharisees, and sadly, I've had to learn as an adult that when you talk about the Pharisees, you're talking about me because I tend to gravitate towards self-reliance and, and this, this self-sufficient sin that says, I, I can be good enough. And that renewal of your mind that you talked about in Romans 2 is absolutely, two, two words there, the transformation, which has the idea of metamorphosis, and the renewing of your mind, which has the idea of a complete renovation, a change in your ideology from your core. So it's not just taking off bad glasses and putting on new glasses. It's a complete transformation. You are, yeah. you are absolutely right. Yeah. Like so many things, it's a heart issue. And I think a lot of the modern church has become Pharisees. It's a growing problem. It is. That's right. And I'm glad you framed it that way. I want to get you to talk about one more thing. And I've taken a lot of your time and I'm, I'm so grateful for you, you and your sweet spirit and willingness to talk I am guessing that our listeners are blown away by you and your story and your wisdom, your maturity. But uh, rather than going on and singing your praises, uh, I want to ask you a tough question about parents. I want you to talk to parents for a second because I get to experience, and now now we we don't get in the weeds like we are today and we don't have this much time to go back and forth with these questions, but I get to experience your generation in the classroom, and I get to learn some things, and it's just so informative to me. But tell us from the perspective of a high school senior, you just graduated from high school, so you're not a senior anymore, you're a graduate, what we should know about your generation. Now, this this is your opportunity to tell us what your generation would, would like older people, older generations, to know about you, because I think there's something there that would be informative to our audience. Well, I love this question. And my answer is the reason that students love your class so much, because you already know. (laughs) A lot of people in my generation and a lot of my friends that I've talked to about this topic seem to feel underestimated by the older generations. Mm. It's not seen a lot, but we really like a challenge and the opportunity to mature and be treated like adults. And that's not even just my age group. I've seen it a lot in younger kids that I've babysat. I've seen it in my little sisters who are still in elementary school. They love to be talked to like adults. And they love when older people assume that the younger people already understand what they're talking about, if that makes sense. Yes. They love learning things that in society are considered mature for their age. Mm -hmm. Because like I said, the older generation's a lot of times seem to have an assumption that the younger generations just want to be entertained. They don't want to think about anything too serious. They get bored easily. But at least among the people that I know, this isn't true. And we really crave and are seeking out opportunities to grow and learn in ways that really matter. 
Well, and I think I think that's right, and you are right. That is the answer that that really is the the information that I want other adults to know about this generation, and I think many others before you. And that is, you're capable of so much, and all, all those all those other things that we do that we put a premium on behavioral issues, and 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 obviously, you and I are not advocating for bad behavior, but. When that's all there is, and you know the the crowd control measures, then then that that creates kind of an empty environment. So we say on the one hand to people your age, you know you're you're an adult. And we we say things like this: the next few years will determine the course of the rest of your life. And we put all this pressure on, but then we turn right around and create an environment, a, a kind of a bubbleish environment that doesn't isn't respectful, doesn't challenge you, doesn't encourage good critical thinking, and you know, in class, although I am certainly imperfect in leading a classroom, I do allow a lot of exchange of ideas and a lot of the exchange of ideas and, and not always, you know, it's not always the right answer from a biblical perspective, but there's, there's healthy, healthy conversation to be had. I think what you just said is your generation loves to be challenged. If I put this answer that you, Absolutely. if I put this answer that you just gave us, and the your other answer about the the issue in society being this instant gratification, then you really have the potential for young people who don't understand what you just said for a lot of apathy and frustration and boredom and depression and all of those kinds of things because God made us to work and engage, and you you have certainly lived that life and and proved that so. I think that's an excellent answer. I'm, I'm going to ask you one question that you, you aren't expecting right now, and it's, it's a tough one. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you'd like to respond to? Is there anything else you'd like to say to this audience? And, and no is a perfectly good answer, but I want to give you that chance here at the end of this episode. No, I'd love to hear your next question. You want? Oh, okay. Uh, well, let me, let me let me keep going then. I, I've got another couple okay. of them. The gospel of Jesus Christ is clearly the thing that is missing from the lives of so many people. Now, you've already kind of talked about this, but talk to young people, and, and I, I really wish you'd do this, talk to young people who are Christians right now and, and don't know what to do to improve the world. How does the gospel of Jesus Christ inform us on how to live, and how can we really make the world a better place? Now, let me, let me qualify that for, for the listener. By the gospel of Jesus Christ, I mean the good news, the, the fact that he was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on a cruel Roman cross, was buried, was raised on the third day, was seen by many, and ascended, sits at the right hand of the Father. This good news of salvation that is available to us in him. So how can we really make, how would you advise young people in the context of the gospel as to how it informs us on how to live and how we can make the world a better place? Well. The gospel calls us to live as Christ lived to the best of our capacity for it. And throughout his life, in everything that you just mentioned, um, Christ was ultimately loving, selfless, and he had this assurance in his faith that he was not afraid to be judged or to reach out to people that everybody else was afraid to reach out to. And people say love all the time. There's so few people, even in the church, who actually practice it and who actually try to live how Christ lived. Mm-hmm. So and true. Some people, some people do try to practice love, 
but only keep it within their church bubble. And they never actually reach out to the rest of the world. But that's missing the point because what good does that do, really? Yeah, we're, we're, we're actually kind of afraid we'll get some on us sometimes. We're afraid we'll become corrupted by, yeah. by leaving the bubble. Yeah, or we're afraid that we'll be judged by the people in our church bubble. But Christ wasn't afraid of that. We hear all the time he ate with tax collectors and he made friends with prostitutes. And he ended up changing their lives through it. Um, because that's right. Because he was willing to be friends with these people. And that's not just going out, talking to the homeless person on the street or building houses for the orphans in Africa. Those are great things. And those are still things that we're called to do from time to time. But if you limit yourself to those things, then they don't affect your everyday lifestyle, really. Um, They don't force you to live how Christ lived. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's this song that really sums it up, I think. It's called Dream Small. I'm sure a lot of people listening have heard that song. But it emphasizes living the gospel by loving your neighbor, loving your family, and doing the seemingly small things in your everyday life, which is what Christ did. You reach out to people that you come across every day by loving them, becoming friends with them, and not being afraid to do so. Well, that's exactly right. And and you're talking about something that I have seen several students uh, over the years, many students actually over the years uh, actually do, and that is really investing in the lives of other people, not not checking boxes on a form to say mission trip, check, helping homeless through a ministry, check. Th- those are things that you just mentioned and they and you said so eloquently that those are good things. Those aren't bad things, but you're you're when you really invest when the, the gospel really informs us to live lives that extend love and grace to our neighbors and sometimes those neighbors are are right next door and yes, the the gospel requires us to invest generously, liberally in the lives of others because of the grace that has been extended to us. So I'm glad I, yeah. we took the time to uh, to, to answer that question. I want to. Uh, you've you've talked about. I was going to get you to talk about your plans for the future. You've you've talked about those. I'm I'm just going to say this in, in closing. A couple of things. First, this you can see as a listener why I'm excited about this generation. And I I know it's awkward for Audrey for me to have her on and and brag about her as I've done, uh, but that is. Uh, a genuine heartfelt sentiment for me. I grow in my confidence for future generations. As a Christ follower, I am encouraged. Uh, This generation gives me hope. You could see how clearly Audrey articulates truth and understands truth and is grounded in truth. Now, her life has not been and will not be hearts and rainbows, but as she trusts Christ, he will continue to make her steadfast. What a blessing that you took your time to share this with us. We're excited about your plans. I want you to be a member of Congress someday, young lady, and, <laughs> and uh, maybe even president of the United States or a Supreme Court justice, but you can change the world one person at a time through the truth that you talked about today, and that's exciting. So folks, I hope you will, again, share, review, like, comment, and subscribe. Go to John Warren Media. Dot com for more information. Until next time. Audrey, thank you for being with us. 
This was an amazing time. I knew bits of the story of your story, but we are grateful that you've shared it so openly. The adversity that you and your family have faced and God's sustaining grace through that story is amazing. Your clear perspective on your generation and on the relationship that older generations can enjoy with your generation if we just get it right is also amazing. And then finally, your summary of how this world works and its challenges and the sufficiency of the gospel of Jesus Christ is also amazing. We are thankful for you and thankful that you've taken this time to be with us and shared so openly today. Folks, I hope you'll like, share, review, and subscribe to the Relentless Truth Podcast. You can go to johnwarrenmedia.com for more information week after week. And to access the podcast, you can also find it wherever you get your podcasts like Spotify and iTunes. It is good to be with you, and I look forward to being with you next time. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren.